0: Powered by Podotter.com. This is something to say. I'm Johnny. This is Scott. And we are together, all in the same room, for the first time in a long time, with a guest. We welcome back our returning champion, Joey Reed. <laughs> who is back with us a year on after what has been probably one of the most monumental years of ministry he has had. We are on the cusp of one year since the devastating tornado that ravaged Mayfield and West Tennessee. Joey, tell us how you are and anything that's on the top of your head before I ask you all the questions I've,
1: <laughs> I've uh, made for today. Well, I just want to thank you guys for making me feel so welcome. I've I've never been on a podcast where the host dressed in tuxedos for the the interview. That's you're welcome. We don't do anything. (laughs) Very classy. Uh, I'm doing great. Um, I can't always say that it hasn't been something that I've said often in the last year, but I'm, I'm feeling good today and I've been feeling good for a, a good couple of weeks.
0: Tell us in general, how is Mayfield as a community
1: Well, it's complicated. There are several communities within the community. There are folks who are frustrated, as you might imagine, frustrated that it's taking so long, frustrated that it's going so very slowly. Uh, They are frustrated that people who are in leadership, who are actually doing a really good job, not making the progress that they wanted to make. There are those who are you know, that I'm, I'm working with on the front lines daily. Disaster recovery is a very long process. And mm-hmm. if you've been involved in it anywhere in your past, you know it takes forever. Yes, we have. So we are seeing some of the fastest recovery, at least in my career, people who have stepped all the way up and essentially gone back to school without getting a degree to learn how to do this disaster recovery. We've, we've had excellent support from the Disaster Recovery Center in uh, Texas, we've been very fortunate because the the folks who've come alongside us uh the the amount of just sheer physical resources has been overwhelming those early days when we were talking and it was all bottles of water and toys that we may or may not have been able to use and blanket after blanket after blanket you guys were still very much in triage mode at that point absolutely and we were we were just on the cusp of the disaster after the disaster which is all of that stuff that you have to find a home for that nobody really needs unfortunately people think disaster and they immediately send you a case of water and we had about an acre and a half that was covered in cases of water standing two and three deep wow lots of that stuff But once we got our pins under us and uh, started talking with some of the the major donors that we've been working with over the last little bit, we had to go and buy a warehouse. And uh, we we purchased a warehouse that the county will own when we're done with it. But right now, we're busy filling that up with supplies from various vendors that have just been overwhelming in their their support for us. Kohler comes to mind. House in a Box comes to mind. And then that's that's on top of all of the, the building supplies that some of our local providers have been shipping to us as they are able. Sky
0: and I were here in Jackson, 99, when yep. we had an EF4 and an EF3.
2: In January.
0: What I recalled about that in the work that we did with UMCOR was that my assessment of things the trauma of the event notwithstanding, my sense of things was that the issues of a community that preceded the disaster did not go away, mm-hmm. but tended to reveal themselves more profoundly. Would you say that that's the case?
1: Uh, absolutely. Like every church in the United States, we were dealing with the after effects of uh, some things like the, the q and consp- conspiracy theories that were going around that were ravaging, you know, church families across the country, people who were buying into this whole cloth. And, uh, it was, it was tearing Sunday school classes apart. It was, it was dividing friends. Uh, so we were seeing, we were seeing people, uh, dividing along political parties and then within political parties, dividing along those conspiracy theory, uh, problems. That was, that was a major deal. Of course, the United Methodist Church and, uh, the disaffiliations that have taken place over the last year or so, that was in the water and has been for the last four or five years. Uh, that was exacerbated by the storm, and then the the obvious trauma and stress of the the recent pandemic. Uh, we're still looking our wounds from that, sure. We're trying to figure out how to to do distance worship uh, with integrity, and at the same time do um, in person worship in a way that's enticing people to come out of their their cocoons to get back into the, the sanctuary.
0: I feel that sense of gladness, relief, that there's progress, and yeah, there's it feels fragile
1: mm-hmm.
0: or in the season in which we find ourselves for all you Christmas story fans for g for GLA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you've been on a day in day out punch list that's got to get done, got to get done, got to get done. <clears throat> Have you been able to give yourself some space? to look at the bigger picture, or are you shoulder to the wheel, I gotta get today's task done, because people are counting on it.
1: Uh, it depends on the day, but I do get a chance to, to zoom out to that, that 30,000, even 60,000 foot view to, to see what's going on. One of the ways that I was able to do that is by, by asking folks to come and preach. So the help that you gave was not only to me not having to worry about that particular task, it also allowed me to spend some time in that week trying to get my bearings. You know, I remember distinctly thinking when you preached, when Gregory preached, uh, the district superintendent, Nancy johnson Varden came out and preached. Each of those moments were not only life-giving to me because I received that that moment of fresh grace through someone else's eyes, someone else's voice, I was also able to take the week previous and just breathe, you know, just look around and see where, where the next big pile of cleanup needed to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it has been a lot of day to day. We've been doing a whole lot more uh, disaster case management in the church than we thought that we would. UMCOR has been alongside us since day one. We had representatives from UMCOR with us worshiping the Sunday after that Friday tornado. And we have had great representation from all of the folks around the conference in terms of UmCore support. But disaster case management is the hardest part of putting together the team that is the long-term recovery. It's grueling, as it's, I recall. It's crazy. It's just not just the recruiting, which takes forever, but the training, which takes another case of forever. And then the cases themselves. Right now, as we're recording, we have about 260-something people waiting For a case manager, still. We have about 140-odd cases that have been closed, and we have another 170, 180 cases that are in process right now. Mayfield First United Methodist was handling its own share of cases. We've got a a stack of file folders because of the incredible outpouring, the huge generosity of people across the country and around the world. Every time I I had a camera stuck in my face, I remembered to say MayfieldFirst.com. And the giving portal is right there. And that money came in in buckets full. We'll
0: be right back with more Something to Say. As Mayfield and Graves County recovers, continuing support sustains their efforts. Go to RecoverMayfieldGraves.com to donate. And to show your support for Mayfield First United Methodist Church, go to mayfieldfumc.com as they witness faithfully through the storms with an eye toward living into their mission as they prepare to return to the location they call home. As an observer through the media, you were the poster child for United Methodism in its capacity to respond. Yeah. Yeah to a real-life situation without blinking. It was
1: so natural. You were made for a moment like this. Well, I, I keep looking back at the footage and thinking, I don't remember saying any of that. It was just a moment where it, it's almost out of body.
0: One of the network news people, maybe it was CBS, Nora, said something about wondering what you would be like a year later, or you invited yeah. her back. Have you heard from any yeah. of these folks? I've
1: talked to her, uh, one of her producers and we're, we're hoping to put something together just before or just after. If it's, if it's going to be just before, it'll happen this week. We're recording the Sunday prior to the memorial on the 10th. Uh, if, if they come back in, it'll be sometime this week. But those people move so fast and cover so much ground and have so much material ready. Really good. Of all the folks that I worked with in December and January, they were by far the most squared away. As you encountered
0: those folks who are on our screens every day, did you feel Authenticity and care, or were you just the next story?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. I think that there was a, a deep and abiding sense of horror as they were watching these pictures come in from from their own feeds. Yeah, how could you otherwise. not be, Yeah, yeah, yeah it, if bad. you're human, it's going to hit you. And I could see people, you know, trying to get their minds around it. But at the same time, five, six, seven, eleven days on, and we were in the news cycle that long. We had we enjoyed an incredible run in the news cycle. You really did. A great deal of support to be uh, drummed up for, for Mayfield, and we are super appreciative. But after four or five days of it, they're professionals, and they they go into their modes. And as you guys well know, you can only allow so much of that emotion to wash over you. Yeah, you can. You eventually have to stop. Right. So um, I think I felt... At arm's length with a few of them, but that CBS interview was early days. And the producers especially and the assistants that I was working with as we did, you know, the B-roll footage that they rolled during the live interview. Those guys were, they were feeling it. I've never seen anything like this.
0: Well, it's good to know that the Tiffany Network, the network of Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite.
1: Very human. Are very human. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thank you for the compliments. But everything that happened that day came about as a result of all kinds of things coming mm-hmm. together. Right. There's a sense of, of wonder in those moments. I wonder what I'm going to say next. That kind of wonder. But it's also, in hindsight, it's, it's a time for me to be very, very grateful for people like uh, you and Sky and uh, Kathy Farmer, who taught me what to do in the microphones or shoved in your face, mm-hmm. and Had the mercy, little red
0: light goes on. She was in the middle of the Jackson disasters with us way back when.
1: Yeah, and she that like you
2: say, she she prepped you for what would happen next yes. and how to handle yourself. Mm-hmm. And those are just things you don't think about. And she was a natural. So yeah, yeah I hear that.
1: So, some things you can't rehearse, but you can still prepare. And right,
0: that's a good word. Say a word about what's going to happen around the memorial. What What is it that is going to occur from an event standpoint? What are the intentions of this and how it might aid in the healing process for a community?
1: I, I, got, I got the call uh, a few months back to sit on the, the planning committee for the memorial. Uh, Mayor Kathy O'Neill, who's a member of Mayfield First, uh, reached out and asked if I would sit in a couple of other pastors participating in, in a lot of the, the department chairs, we sat down to talk about what a, a memorial would look like. We're calling it a memorial, of course, because we're remembering those who lost their lives in the tornado, but we're also recognizing people who brought dignity and integrity and bravery to the day, uh, the folks who ran in when the rest of us were kicking the doors down to get out. Um, and we're also trying to find ways to look to the future for hope, as you mentioned. So we're, we're trying to do all three of those things. Uh, we're going to have the governor come in, um, and he's going to recognize the first responders. Our mayor and our judge executive for the county, uh, Jesse Perry, uh, will read the names of the sacred dead. And we'll ring a, a handbell uh, that allows us to grieve and to mourn and to recognize those who made a bad day better and we're going to have a chance to look at ways that we can all pull together and show the resilience. I still stand by that. Mayfield is a resilient now. We're going to look for ways to show that resilience to the world.
2: Looking at it a year later, what have you learned about yourself through the process of being a spiritual leader or in a community that's been traumatized like this?
1: Well, I've I've learned that there is a distinct truth to what we already knew, and that is you've got to take care of yourself if you're going to take care of other people. The the old adage about putting the mask on and then putting the oxygen mask on the people you're flying with, right. and those things come flying out of the ceiling. And I have declared victory over my stress and trauma three or four times now in the last. And show. you'll do it more. <laughs> Because it break your successes early and often. I did. But the problem was each time that I did that, I thought, I'm all done with that now. I'm good to go. And I I found myself falling back into patterns of anxiety and worry. Prayer does wonders. But so, too, does uh, having some strong spiritual leadership in your life. And friends who will come in and say, yeah, we're going to work on this thing that we're doing for the church. But let's spend some time talking about how you're doing. And Johnny, I owe you a debt of gratitude that I may never repay. No, um, no. Just the Just the fact that you were there to ask the questions and to press me to, to, to take better care of myself.
0: Well, let me speak to that for a minute. I'm not sure that I would have been in a place to ask particular questions for you or about you or to inquire had I not endured mm. some of the, my last five or six years. In fact, you, you mentioned the example of the uh, put your mask on first. Yeah. I used to be offended by that because I'm a recovering codependent. But when I'm in full codependent mode, I need to make sure you've got yours yes. on and I will suffocate <laughs> right. to make sure you've got yours on. Because, because that's what, what we do. That, right? and, and for clergy, it's just right there for <laughs> you. And I've learned now I can't be any good to you. If I haven't that's taken right. care of myself. So it was into that space. I knew you, and I knew what trauma can do to a person. Yeah. To say nothing of whatever the care it is of, that you're rendering to your congregation and your community. But you were in that building when it came down.
2: Yeah. That's, that's a huge difference because not only are you, you didn't drive up into it and see it. You walked out of it and yeah. lived it. Yeah. And that's, that adds another layer altogether.
1: Yeah. Lorenda, my wife, says uh, uh, it's it's different when you when you had to kick the door open to get out. Yeah. Than to,
2: of course it
1: is. It, it makes all the difference.
2: Yeah. The only thing worse than running into a burden house to put the fire out is running out of the burden house so you don't die.
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly right. Yeah. And, and speaking of Lorenda, who among the things that has been a blessing to me in this last year... And I don't know how across the decades I really didn't have a chance to know her. Um, she's something.
1: She's she's a pistol. She's And a
0: I remember a couple of times when we were together. You were like, y'all can't stay away from each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know we we've, we've seen our share of trauma in the church. All mm-hmm. three of us, and we all know what that can do to the parsonage family. Mm-hmm. And having been through as much trauma as you've been through lately, and knowing. That she's still going through some of the the tornado trauma and, and church trauma with disaffiliation and you know church folks there's there's no fight like a church fight uh, and it's usually because the stakes are so low that's right but in this particular instance folks are really dialed in and they think they've got moral high ground on both sides and they like to say mean and hurtful things and sometimes they personify the church by taking on whoever's in the pulpit of course and. Yeah, You're
0: the easy target. Yeah.
1: And like most of us, well, it, we're back to the mask thing. Lorinda would rather take the hit herself, you know, come talk to me about it, you know, than to watch somebody hearing to me. Right. Sure. She has a hard time with that, as most, most uh, Parsons families do.
2: Well, uh, and another metaphor, along with the airplane and the air mask, I think, is the the metaphor of uh, taking a break while you're cutting wood. Yes. Uh, so, you can sharpen the yes. saw. Yes. And a lot of folks think, well, you got to be doing something. You just can't sit. Right. And, well, if you're looking at this in terms of years, which you are, yeah. you got to sit yeah. and you got to rest and you got to take a break. So, you're getting good counsel, I think, from yeah. folks. Uh, and I don't think most folks uh, think that way. It would be helpful if they did in regular life. It would. Uh, but certainly when you have uh, something traumatic, if you don't think that way, you're you're not going to have anything left. In other words, your saw will be dull, yes. and you're wearing yourself
1: out doing nothing. Yeah, getting, getting nothing accomplished. In, in other parts of the world, folks think nothing and saying, well, you know, I'm going to grab a backpack, and I'm going to be gone for the next eight weeks. You know, Right. Don't email me. <laughs> and here. That sounds awesome. Doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't it? Uh, here, it's, I'm going to take a couple hours off, but if you need me, call me. Right. Or I'm going to be on vacation next week, but if there's an emergency, you can send me an email. And I wanted to cut those things off and trust my people to do what they've been taught and led to do by pastors well before I got there. Some of these folks have more years in ministry than, than I'm going to have. Right. Um, and I've got to trust folks to do the right thing. I think the hardest thing about ministry is helping people to understand that our scope of ministry switched. Overnight, in a blink of an eye, and disaster recovery has become our identity. And a lot of folks resent that. Yeah. In, inside and outside the church. Yeah. Why aren't you doing the same programming? Why, why, why aren't we thinking about hiring this position? Why aren't we doing more work with this particular aspect of ministry? Why aren't we looking at blueprints to build a new church? Well, I'm, that one actually works out pretty well. Because because
0: you've had a great process to come to... Clarity. I'm curious to know where it sits, given that I was involved in it for a little bit in August.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, without crunching numbers, the insurance money that we got and then invested with the Nashville Area Foundation is producing monthly. And when folks get too uptight, I say, look, just wait another month and it's going to be a few more thousand dollars on the building fund. It, it, It behooves us to wait financially. But also, it gave us a lot of time to sit with the idea of putting together plans for a building that will actually serve the ministry that we are currently prepared to do and the ministry that we need to be prepared to do. What are other surprises that you've had? Well, I mean, the biggest surprise is that the the process that we went through to do this discernment, the 100 days of prayer and scripture, was, was something that I stole with no reservations. I found some other people who had done the same thing. Because if you've ever been through one of these disasters, you know that people will call and say, hey, I want to let you know I did this mm-hmm. eight years ago. I rebuilt the church 20 years ago. I did this. We went through a similar disaster, fire, tornado, flood. And uh, they, they talked to me about the disaster, but one or two talked to me about the recovery. And those are the ones I sat down and I really took notes. Because I knew that though a lot of well-meaning people would tell me about their disasters, their experience was going to be different right. than mine, but the recovery was going to be pretty much the same. And I wanted to see where they did things well and things that they were stayed done differently. And everyone I talked to about recovery said, "I wish we had taken longer. I wish we had been more in spent potential. more time doing it." Yeah. yeah. So the hundred days of of prayer and scripture, we picked out a hundred passages of scripture that talked about everything from planning and waiting and anticipating uh, to listening uh, and discerning uh, there were uh, uh, several passages in there that just directly uh, spoke to various aspects of ministry from evangelism to missions to nurture and fellowship Dacon uh, in the end, uh, and all those things that we learned in seminary oh wow yeah break out your break out your, uh, break out your mm-hmm. elbow patches seminaries sure. but the the, the scripture and the prayer over 100 days led up to Johnny's uh, time with us where we asked specific questions, and we, we listed about 21 different things that are going to be bedrock priorities for us. And when the requests for proposals go out to engineers and architects and designers, we will have those 21 things to say, give us a building. Are those questions.
0: 21 the 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 substance of that conversation, They're or have they been distilled further? They are, literally, they are further? literally
1: in your handwriting. Really? Yeah, wow. where you wrote on the-, the We basement. had to
0: go buy some special <laughs> post-it paper so I could, because I'm old and that's the only way I knew really how to, yeah. other than a whiteboard, which I didn't have access to. Oh, yeah, we, we couldn't do
1: all of that stuff because we ended up, uh, we were in the cafeteria of the middle school, at Mayfield still, uh, for our, our Wednesday night uh, fellowship. So, uh, that that was one of the major joys was seeing nice. people respond to okay we're going to sit with this or you know they didn't all like it no <laughs> but, but they, they
2: <laughs> yeah and that goes back to that I, I need to be doing something yes yes look
1: busy jesus yeah. is coming soon right. so uh <laughs> we we we're, have you not seen this t-shirt that's great jesus is coming soon and then on the back look busy look busy yeah <laughs> yeah Every church falls victim to that sin or lane. Sure. And there were a lot of voices that didn't just say that. They said, if we don't do something, people are going to leave. Yeah. And I, I kept saying to them, you know, if those people leave, were they ever really ours? We've got plenty of work to do. That we don't need to be worrying about entertaining people.
2: Yeah, that's kind of for better for <laughs> right?
0: It's interesting that you say that because I exchanged some texts today with a a good friend of ours who um, has been a friend of mine for 50 years. And just in that conversation, he had shared with me something that he had posted on the Facebook that it was I was rich since I don't do the Facebook anymore. But he talked about the DMC, mm. the Disaffiliated Methodist Church, and that those who need to go. Or want to go, go. It's yeah. okay. It, it's not, it's, it's really a mutual pruning.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, nobody's being cut off, nope. particularly. It is a choice. Now, I told him in response, I understood DMC as being the disaffected Methodist church of which I am a bishop. And he. <laughs> um, <laughs> He did. He did offer a location for annual conference oh, to be held. So, That's awesome. uh, so, anyways, the I thought,
2: I, yeah,
0: I thought you'd appreciate. I that. Do I do
2: appreciate that.
0: I am curious. How much does the foundation have of your money?
1: The entire insurance package is with the United Methodist, uh, the National Area Foundation of the United Methodist Church, and it's it's in very good hands. We're we're receiving. Uh, uh, funds as a result of that investment that will allow us to build bigger and better and to, to look at some options that we might not have had. We're also working on a FEMA appeal um, uh, and making sure that that some of those uh, funds are going to be available to us, but doing all that raised a lot of those specter questions you know, that were hovering in the background already. Are we still going to be United Methodist? Are we going to build a United Methodist sanctuary? And you know, I made no secret of it. I, I had been in conversation with our leadership, district superintendents and uh, bishops, including our own. Um, and we we were all of a very similar mindset that that insurance policy had been taken out by United Methodist Church. Right. And that the check that the insurance company had cut was to Mayfield First United Methodist Church. And we felt very strongly that it needed to be a United Methodist Church that was built back. So in the midst of those you know, conversations. And I had people come to the office and say, why aren't we having these town hall discussions? And I said, because people who are having town hall discussions want to have those town hall discussions. And I don't feel any particular need to carry water for a denomination that's burgeoning out from under my denomination. So if, if you want to have those conversations, go for it. But I don't feel any need to give equal space to another denomination, any more than I would, you know, as ecumenical as I am, I wouldn't invite another pastor to come in and say, hey, would you give us the benefits of your differing branch of theology? And Mm -hmm. let us decide if maybe we don't want to be us anymore. and Maybe we want to be you. So in those conversations that took place in private, I said, I'm happy to talk with anybody who wants to come in and ask me a question. I'll give you an honest answer and where I'm giving you an answer that, is about this burgeoning denomination, I'll give you footnotes and receipts because I'm not part of that organization. I don't want to be part of that organization. And they're no longer sending me invitations to be a part of that organization because I've said this consistently enough that they finally understood I'm not leaving the United Methodist Church. That was followed up with a, a blog post that was posted on the church website as well that essentially said I was born a United Methodist, I'm going to die a United Methodist. I
0: read that. Yeah. That clarity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: especially when someone comes in to see you, yeah, which is very different than a blog post or a letter. That is, in its way, your here I stand. I can do no other. Right. That uh, in there are moments in all of our lives mm-hmm. where we've had those, brother Sky. Yes, sir. Darn proud of you. Yeah. That when someone comes to you. And you are the focus, mm-hmm. the personification of the energy they're projecting. And you come back clearly, yet unwavering.
1: Yes. What does that do to you? Well, it, it does a couple of things. The first thing that it does is it, it, it turns your knees to jelly sometimes. Because these are often people that you know, love, and respect. And you're having to say something that you know they're not going to hear necessarily well Uh, in terms of they're, they're not going to be happy to hear it. It's not the word that they wanted to get. And in some cases it's folks who are so angry about so many things that this is going to be a breaking point for them. So you, there's great fear and trepidation in those conversations and in the moments leading up to. I, I've got standing instructions now for all of our office volunteers and staff. If somebody calls and says they're going to talk to me, I want to know what they want to talk about. Yeah. We're not doing any of those. Completely <laughs> fair. Yeah. <laughs> because I want to be able to be prepared to give that clarity that you're talking about. And you because, also get to choose. Yes. I can I can then call them back and say, hey, that's not an office visit. Um, I've got some material that i posted and that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've had at least three conversations in the last seven or eight months where at some point in the conversation, I've had to stop and say, hey, are you okay? Are you all right? Because this is not you. This is not what I have experienced from you, your kindness, your gentleness. I'm not seeing any of that. You're very angry right now. Can we stop and talk about that for a second? And that's been very healthy in that moment. It's been disarming. Which is a good thing, and <laughs> it's changed the nature of those relationships for the better. Um,
0: I remember texting you after watching some of your sermons, yeah, and saying, "Dude, yeah, I don't know what you think's coming through, but here's what I'm seeing, yeah, yeah." And there, you didn't buck that at all,
1: yeah. There's there's a point there's There was a point just before. You sent that message and said, hey, hmm, we need to talk about what's coming through and how you're publicly processing some of your emotions. I realized probably in that moment, but I'd had, I'd had some some thoughts about it beforehand and had made us to justify them away, you know, rationalize these ideas. I was beginning to resent a, a great deal of the pressure that had been dropped in my lap. I was beginning to resent... Not so much the tornado, but the disaffiliation process Mm -hmm. um, and the, the emotions that were attached to it. I resented people who were contacting members of the congregation that I was appointed to serve from outside the congregation with playbook ideas. And here's how you go about disaffiliating. And for those who say, oh, no, when you find the Xerox copies littered on some of the Sunday school class tables because they forgot to take them up. That's when you know that you know, and it's not just paranoia. It's not paranoia when they really are out to get you. Right? As the old, old saying goes. So there was a lot of resentment around that, and and I was starting to carry that more publicly than I should, and I've apologized in some places. It's not so much it's not so much being opposed to it, which I, I'm freely able to say that I am. I don't think that it's it's been handled well. Those who are disaffiliating in our particular part of the world. I can't speak to the rest of the nation and how those disaffiliations have gone. But I am seeing way too many folks who have been riled up over non issues right, and then turned loose on their own churches to wreak havoc. Or misinform
2: or misinformation. Yeah,
1: misinformation when it becomes disinformation is where right. I started, you know, popping my fork and blowing my cool. And that's not good. So yeah, it was I, a good I, word you gave me. me I, that way. the concern was more for you as it yeah. was
0: than it was what you were saying in a given moment. Mm-hmm. And I do think that if there was someone propagating crap, yeah, within the walls, yeah, of the church to which I was appointed, yeah, it's on,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and if that person or if those persons happen to be clergy. Yeah. I'm coming.
1: It's Yeah, double on.
0: I'm on. This, and it's not... So there's a sense in which you were completely entitled to feel something. And what then is your response
1: to it? That's where I was going wrong. And that's where the resentments were driving justified behavior in my own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay if I come at these people. It's okay if I go after these people. It's okay if I say things about them that indicate that what they're doing is unethical and immoral, you know, that's not going to do anything but make me feel better in the shortest of the short terms. So what, what your word did for me in that moment was to realize, okay, you have these issues happening here in the church. You are having these emotions inside Mm -hmm. your body and now they're outside your body. What are you going to do about your response so that you can do something about those issues that are generating the response that will actually get something done rather than just allow you to you know, blow off some steam and not really accomplish anything. So I don't know how great a job I've done with that, but I've at least been intentional. <laughs> I think you should be given every
0: opportunity to be human, yeah. which is in of itself a witness in the face of a trauma all of you endured.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: If in your efforts to emote,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you did harm, mm-hmm. then amends is, of course, gotta get in there is, is for you as much as it is yes. for the person.
1: Yes. So because the guilt, I, will, the guilt I, will ride you as much as that's right. Anything else?
0: I, quick story because you kind of sparked a memory for me. Thirty years ago, you talk about the other forces, conversations mm-hmm. that are happening. Uh, I was the associate at Asbury, mm-hmm. first under Reverend Dr. Benny Hopper, God rest his soul, Oh, and then the Reverend Dr. Mark Matheny. But while I was still with Benny, that's when the confessing movement stuff started. Yeah. And I had a member who held a pastor of a very large church in the city of Memphis in highest regard. And so he brought me stuff from Mm. the confessing movement. Mm -hmm. And there was this big conference going on in Atlanta where they were going to pass this thing. So he wanted to go. And I said, I'm going with you because you ain't bringing that crap back. (laughs) (laughs) We're (laughs) going to filter
1: this. (laughs) That's right.
0: Well, it it was a profoundly disorienting experience to be in a room with what felt like 1200 1500 people in mm-hmm. saying things about the church that I was born in raised in ordained in mm-hmm. that is that's not who we are yeah. how is it that you say it is and this document that now they they published later that it was unanimously approved it was not there were two no votes me and the guy that went with me, and so I hear that, and you know that certain person now is, as uh, the congregation, the aforementioned congregation is moving away,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, talks about that. There's the aspiration for a church with a Wesleyan accent is the language that I've heard, and I just would say there's nothing worse than a fake accent. Oh, so it is bothersome to me that some of what's happening now mm. is the same stuff that was happening 30 years ago
2: Well, and I, and I think here's where the rub is where you're allowed to have some 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 justified response uh it's okay to disagree mm-hmm. it's not okay to lie right right and when you lie you lose the integrity of the of the conversation, right? And and I think because our political climate has taught us that lying is okay, mm-hmm. and if you lose, it must have been a, a problem in the process, right. because certainly I couldn't have lost because of my position is right, right? Uh, that's a problem, yeah. and and I hear you navigating. That disappointment that you've heard fairly well, and like Johnny would say, I wouldn't apologize for your moments of uh, justified anger. You know, there is—you can't do it very often, but sometimes you do turn the tables yeah. over, well, and uh, and that needs to be said and done.
1: For the folks at home who are following along on uh, Enneagram uh, understandings, you know, I won't. Justify.
0: Listener, wait a minute, wait, listener. Why don't you tell people what the enneagram is the enneagram, for those who care?
1: The enneagram is sort of a, a, a new take on personality and it, uh, descriptions of personality that help you to understand yourself and what your motivators are, mm-hmm. what your fear, uh, your primary fears are. I, I operate out of the uh, uh, out of the eight zone, so I'm very much about protecting people. I'm very much about uh, doing things in a in a in an orderly fashion. Um, i don't always get details very well until it's a matter of making sure somebody else is safe and when I feel like somebody's jumping into the middle of of the congregation with falsehoods uh and, and misinformation disinformation, whichever um, the result is the same uh they're going they're going to have to be addressed and I had to realize that my emotional need to do that had to take a backseat to my professional need to do that. But you know, to your point about the confessing movement and the, the activity in Atlanta back in the day, uh, that's another one of the resentments that I have, is that uh, I've inherited this mess in a lot of ways, as we all have. Uh, this could have been uh, handled so much better over the years. Our denomination has not done a great job. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking from the left to the right and from the right to the left about what the Bible does or doesn't say. And we haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about what the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us now. Fair. So, for uh, better or worse, we him. have mirrored
2: the United States as yes. the United Methodist Church Absolutely. in just about every respect. Absolutely.
0: And historically, always, that's been the case. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. We're, we're America's church, and yeah. I don't know that that's a compliment. No. Is that Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> Did somebody... One of the Founding Fathers... referenced the Methodist yeah, Church. Yeah, the yeah. White, yeah. and... You know, we're set up similarly. Mm-hmm. We have the As same tribes, yes. And then that uh, kind of got washed away uh, later on in our life because we became a global church, mm-hmm. and people couldn't put their arms around it. Yeah. And I think all the dynamics that are happening now, given with disaffiliation, are really interesting. Because uh, some folks who are a larger part of the global church decided we're not going to play the game with you people. Right. And that mm-hmm. has
1: backfired and made people scratch their heads. And I'm one of them. I, I was very surprised when some of the African bishops stood up and said, we're not this affiliated. Sorry. That's, I don't know what you're planning. I think some of you may have been counting on that, but that's not a bad You're not going to tell that. us what yeah. to do.
0: The, well, you can be... Paternalistic. Yeah, only so long.
2: We know what's disappointed you in all this.
1: Where do you get your joy? Where do you find it? My joy has consistently come from uh, a knowledge that at the end of the day, um, I'm going back to the parsonage to sit down with my wife to talk about these things. And having the knowledge that even if someone that I know and trust dearly within the congregation gets mad and walks out on me tomorrow. I know, I know that I've got my wife to go home to and we don't always agree, but we always know that our agreement and our disagreement is secondary to the relationship. And this season and the advice that I've gotten the, the encouragement that I've gotten, the, the thing that has given me the most strength is the investment that we have put in over the years. I haven't always done it well. Thank God where I failed to do that, she was making sure that those things were happening. She was taking care of the, the mental anguish and the, the stress and trauma that the kids were experiencing that I was either um, undervaluing um, or completely to. And I'm I'm still making amends there, still trying to figure out how to how to do that. We've learned over the years. We've made a joke of it. Uh, we're complete opposites on so many things. To the point that if we're at a buffet and I come back and have something on my plate, I'll try it and not like it, she'll go get it because she's bad to <laughs> like it. It's that. And it's consistent. It's that <laughs> consistent. So when I've been an idiot, she's been a genius. And when I've been emotionally distant or unavailable even uh she has done everything she can to be emotionally available and that strength of relationship has on more than one occasion over the last year dozens of times it's been the only reason i've been able to get through a day and a couple of times get through a night
0: we'll be right back with more something to say We're always grateful for the support shown to help make our podcast possible. And this shout-out goes to Jerry, my dad, whose continued encouragement and support helps sustain our efforts. Thank you, Dad. You can show your support for something to say. On Cash App, use dollar sign, P-O-D-M-E-M, and on Venmo, at P-O-D-M-E-M. So you are... One who has been faithful to the itineracy. Yeah. You are still, as you have articulated, United Methodist, and that means that you are where you are at the pleasure of the bishop and cabinet. Yes. There's no guarantee of how long you'll be where you are at any one point. When the day comes that you go to another place to minister, Mm -hmm. what do you take with you from this experience at this place and at this time, both in your life uh, but also in your observation of a congregation struggling, literally struggling to survive?
1: Cliché, but it's cliché for a reason. I'm going to take with me a new understanding of how strong I am and a new understanding of how weak I am because over the last year I've been tested Mm -hmm. and tested and tested. Um, I have a new cardiologist, you know, I'm 50 years old. I got a cardiologist, not because I decided to look one up and see what it would be like to have a cardiologist. I'm going to be in the emergency room, you know, after a, uh, an illness. Um, I realize that fragile is the word of the day. We're going to have to drop something down on like Groucho Mark show, you know.
0: Man, that's a deep cut for <laughs> if we, you, you listener who is under 50. Oh,
1: gosh. <laughs> that is awesome. As fragile as I've fragile as realized that I am, I've also realized that not only do I have strengths in my immediate family, I have strengths in the connectional system still. You don't hear that touted nearly as much as we used to hear it. That's true. But I have been, I have been offered support consistently. I mean, not just from, from colleagues who are friends, but from colleagues that I didn't know very well before who came to me and offered me advice and brought me resources and pointed me in, in new directions. And that's on top of the the system that's already in place, Mm -hmm. whereby a district superintendent is my pastor. And I'm glad to say in this case that that I I can call Nancy a friend. Uh, We were in covenant discipleship before she was on the district. And that relationship changes, obviously. But there's a deeper understanding of where I am and where I might be going, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. So... Again, that's that's even before we get to the the hands-on participation of our bishop. We've talked more in the last year. You know, I never thought I had any real need to interrupt the bishop's day, and he's he's been a rock. He has been uh, forthcoming with his own experience of disaster, and he's been forthcoming with his own experiences of of difficulty in ministry and and personal struggles even, and in sharing those, encouraging me to find the help that I needed. That may have or may not look like the help that he got. So just learning that it's okay to be that weak so that you can be stronger than you ever thought you could be.
0: That is a strength that Bill has yeah. to empathize out of his own experience, but not just out of it. It right. informs a response, but it doesn't define it because it's a response that you've got to figure out yourself. Mm-hmm. But I've I've always thought in my own encounters with him across the years, that those engagements were real. Oh, yeah. He is and has been uh, very caring. Yes. Uh, it was to me. So I, I can, I'm I not at all surprised yeah. then, that he was to you.
1: Any, any resentments that I've ever had about the Episcopacy or the itinerant system or the connectional structures that created difficulty in my life, I've very rarely been able to put on a person. On the office? The office. All yeah. day long, sure. But I've, I've also been counseled by district superintendents, past and present, present company included, that there are sometimes only so many decisions that can be made and that not every move is going to be a good one and that there are going to be some problematic issues. This is true. Not to put too fine a point on it, one of the things that I've learned about Uh, myself as an itinerant pastor in a connectional system is that I'm going to advocate for myself perhaps for the first time please don't send me in to be a troubleshooter this time I don't know if that was on my jacket somewhere in a a file that I I did okay in those situations I'd like to take a season off from that please Um, Yeah,
0: I think not for nothing although I am a bishop now in the disaffected 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 Methodist Church. Church That t-shirts? That's, oh absolutely okay. love that,
2: that um, lapel pin
0: for uh, any of you cabinet and bishop people who listen for your next appointment whenever it is yeah it must be something other than what you are encountering now
2: yeah
0: it can't be a fix it
2: yeah you, you can't you, you, you need, had that season you don't need to come in behind <laughs> Time to, to do
0: that to you again is to do harm.
2: Yeah, you need yeah. a season that's different than
1: the one you're in. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have a new understanding of, of what has come to be a very popular response from the Episcopacy. You know, when they offer a place or a projection or, or what have you. Opportunity. An opportunity. That's the word I was can <laughs> like a, who, like a, You
0: can tell like who a, the <laughs> superintendent was <laughs> in or the or room. Like
1: a superintendent. But you know, the... You've said it to me, too, uh, Scott. Is, is there a moral reason that you can't take this appointment? Can you think of a moral reason? Yes. Yes, I can now. Yeah. Yes, you thing. can. Yeah. Is and- this going to harm me? Is this going to harm my family? Because I've realized now in, in dealing with trauma and picking up my trauma and stress and anxiety one shovel full at a time as I've turned it over, I've seen, I've seen not just my trauma but the trauma of my Wife and my son and my daughter, sure, my mother, even my brother and sister, watching me go through some of the things that I've gone through. I had no idea, no idea, no idea. We sometimes get so busy, you know, straightening our capes and and, and adjusting those those superhero accoutrements that we don't do the things that we need to do to protect the people around us. I, right. I guess that's why those guys have secret identities, right?
0: I fully support what in what you've just said. Mm-hmm. I fully support you being clear yeah. in advocacy for yourself, which is then by extension advocacy for your family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, these these statements, this is not like you said, for our district superintendent and episcopal friends who may be listening. Uh I, I, these, are, these are not statements that are out of character for what I've said over the last five or six months. I'm sure that's right. Um, these, these conversations are very consistent, and I think that transparency is important. And I also think it's important to say that I am still looking forward to getting out of bed in the morning and finding ministry where it finds me in the course of the day. Yeah. Good for you. So that hasn't gone away.
0: I You know, I admire that. I, I, there are parts I don't miss. Yeah. I do though find deep meaning to the point of getting emotional for those of you who have been able to hold it and do it and it not make you so sick that you couldn't do it anymore and similarly i know that there are those who are doing it and it's still making them sick yeah go do what you got to do to get well yeah that's it
1: that's it because the i think what what may, was making me sick, and what's still making some of our colleagues sick—that you're talking about, who are still doing it, even though it makes them sick—is over the past 25 years or so. And I think popular culture is going to back this up, and you know, all the talking heads and the, the pointy-headed folks who study ministry—they're um, uh, going to—they're going to point to a fact that ministry at some point started to become more self-aggrandizing than it needs to be. Yeah. And we started setting career goals for ourselves yeah. and want to make it to here. and I want to accomplish this. And the the longer I do this, the less I care about that. And I don't think that's a, a testimony to any sort of genius that I might have. It's a testimony to the fact that God's not done working on me and has been knocking me down as often as I've been trying to lift myself up to a step that I don't need Jesus talked about sitting in a seat that didn't belong to you and being told you gotta move down because you picked too high a seat. But he also talked about sitting in the least seat and being said, Oh no, you're you're further up the line. Not the head of the table, (laughs) but you're further up the line. And the longer I sit with that passage, the more sense it makes. I remember
0: when I was doing my D work at Wesley, one of my professors was the late Jim Logan. And It was a powerful moment for me when he said, when the circuit rider got off his horse and went into a station church, the zeal of mission for Methodism gave way to sustaining a building. And I think history has shown that that's right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that any of us really know what it means to be Methodist in the way that, that the mission was first born. Right. It might be in this time an opportunity to find it afresh or appropriate it for this season with some integrity.
1: My prediction for myself is that I'm going to go from resenting being at the tail end of an institution's life to being overjoyed at the freshness of the new ministry that is this account that has no re- representation in my memories of the United Methodist Church for the last years.
0: I love that. As long as we don't call it fresh expression, which I <laughs> find the most problematic yeah, descriptor. I, really of-
2: I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the motives behind it, but the, yeah. the wording is very is yeah. really poor. I think that's where we're at. Uh, I, I read recently that The the growing block of votes are non-churched people in the United States. They are going to make the difference in elections from now on.
0: Mm -hmm. We're becoming Europe.
2: Right. And so becoming a remnant, I I think we may actually be becoming what we're supposed to be. Yeah. And, And other denominations and traditions are finding the same thing. Mm-hmm. There, is a, there is a lot of, shall we say, disaffection about church as an institution, but there is a lot of impetus for folks who want to get behind a movement
1: and a community that matters. So to bring this full circle, one of the things that we're going to be talking about at Mayfield First as we build this new building is what does that church look like that's going to occupy this place? Yeah. And not just the church that we have now, but the planning that we're going to do for the church that we are becoming mm-hmm. a community-oriented church, mm-hmm. a community-based missional church. You
2: know? Well, and I and I would hope that your folks appreciate that coming from my perspective, where we have to create that with the building that's already yeah. there. Yeah, and say, okay, how do we remake this real estate mm-hmm. so that it can be used for community space? Yes, so that. Christ-like things can happen in this community. Yeah,
0: but you're basically being given a canvas to start afresh.
1: Yeah, yes. And those those phrases, those words, you know, a blank slate, a uh, clean canvas, a uh, fresh start. Those things couldn't be said January, February, March. No. But I was able to say things that need to be said. Like you know, this this was the repository of our greatest memories. Our grandparents were were laid to rest from. Funerals in this church, our parents were married in this church, our friends and we were baptized in this church, all all of the things that generationally were true. I said those things often that somebody finally said, look, we, we got to get past that building's gone. And as soon as three or four people called me on that, that's when I was able to start using the, the, the clean slate, the blank slate and the, 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 the clean uh, start.
2: Well, I hate to tell you this, but a 1,000 years from now, that building will be gone anyway. Yeah, the next one's going to be gone. This is You've actually been given an opportunity. Sure. That
1: process has been sped up. Sure. One of the wise heads at Mayfield First said, you realize we're about to build our sixth building. <laughs> that was our fifth one that was blown over the storm. We've sold one, we've uh, abandoned another, and uh, one was burned down. But, yeah, uh, the, others, the others were lost starting with like a barn or a cabin or something, I'm sure. Sounds good. In right. Western Kentucky. But
0: is the American Legion building still up or has no, it come down?
1: It came down the last Thank year. Thank God. That's yeah. great. I got my eye on that bottle in. I nice used to do. go east to west on, yeah. on that little stretch because we were stacked up on the birthday cake. Yep. And lots of scale had half the block when yeah. you needed a whole block and exactly. then another. And then, you know, elevator costs being what they are. We'd like to avoid that. I hear that. So we spread out like the ground and go from sidewalk to sidewalk across the, the southern tier of that block. And we've also got the, the block to the south of us for the most part. Uh, but our mission building is there. We're calling that uh, Project 316 building because the address is 316 South A and uh, all the things that go with 316 and not just John 316. There's plenty of other neat little passages. that. And the, the difference is to go back to the community-based idea of church we want to make sure that we're not just doing missions for us hey this class you do this part of the mission right. this class should be this part of the mission we put up a sign that says anybody that wants to help we're going to do a potato drop we're going to bring in a truckload of potatoes you can bag them sack them uh put them in the backs of trucks and take them to all of these various ministries across the region and you don't have to be a member of the church to help with
2: that funny the second sunday of advent which is today yep I purposely a couple of years ago said, you know, I, I gotta get off the gospel. I gotta start using other readings. So I did Romans reading today, okay. which is what you just said. Yeah. And but this is who we're supposed to be. This sure. is a community for everybody. Yes.
1: And if we if we stop thinking of the community as potential members and potential,
2: tithes, I wish we'd get rid of the word members. Me too. There's nothing scriptural
1: about that. I would just say to have 150 clubs. guests in the building doing ministry alongside us as to have 150 guests in worship. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like blasting me a lot. Partners It still tweaks mine a little bit. But partners in the ministry, come, come alongside us or let us come alongside you. And here's the space to do it. I, I, I think that would be a phenomenal, a phenomenal day in
0: ministry for me. So... I, Joey, I, obviously, anytime I get to spend time with you, I'm grateful for it, and we're thankful that you chose to come down. And
2: absolutely, this is far get to better. Hang
0: out with the cool kids for
2: a yeah. This is
0: this is so much better than a Zoom screen. Absolutely. Um, Sky, you got any parting words?
2: I, I am I am I am very uh, pleased with your candor in your. Uh, your uh, willingness uh, to openly share about all these things. I think they're not just instructive for, God forbid anybody else who goes through something like this, but but how do you have hope in a season where a lot of folks see hopelessness? Yeah. Uh, How do you celebrate in a season where people don't find any joy? Right. Uh, I'm really, this this is inspirational to me, so I really appreciate your time. And you know, Johnny and I have had a taste of what you've gone through, but not not, not what to the you've magnitude. No, uh, and uh, you composed yourself well. So uh, for those older guys, we felt like uh, you did well. And Johnny and I had the benefit of having an older minister tell us the very same thing. So we're telling yeah. you.
1: Well, I appreciate it. again the leadership that the two of you provided, in particular, and that. Folks have provided to me in general across the connection the only reason I've been able to pull off anything that I've done. And God gets the glory for all that because we wouldn't to be together if it we weren't for the church. Amen. Yep.
0: Amen. Listener, thank you for being a part of our conversation. Thank you. Until next time, we'll see you on Something, Something to, to Say. say.
1: Something to Say is powered by PodOtter.com. Hosted by Johnny and Sky. Audio production by Gilworth. Logo and design by Otter. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts.